Winning decisions aren't made in the moment. They're made in obscurity. In the seemingly mundane mini decisions made long before crunch time. Because wise people don't just make good decisions, they make pre-decisions. This is the preseason series. It's going to be about 182 days from right now. The two teams are going to put themselves on the field. They're going to put their bodies on the line. They're going to give everything they've got all to be able to hoist this trophy at the end of the game. And even if you are not a football fan, there's a decent chance you're going to be watching that game. Last year, over 113 million people tuned in as they went to Super Bowl parties. People who don't even like football end up watching the Super Bowl, eating junk food, hoping to see some funny commercials. And at the end of the game, the winning team gets this trophy. And not everybody on the team gets the trophy, but everybody on the winning team, they get a Super Bowl championship ring. Not unlike this one, uh, my man uh, Harold Burden gave me this replica of the Super Bowl championship ring from the 2010 New Orleans Saints Super Bowl team. Do you guys remember that season? Wasn't that great? Some, some of you guys not a huge fan. I skipped the day at seminary where they said, don't pick a fight with the audience. But here's my real question. Here's my real question. When is it determined who wins the Super Bowl? And what is it that determines who wins the Super Bowl? And it might sound like, a, like I'm setting you up for a trick question. Really, I'm not. Certainly what happens in the 60 minutes of game time, massively important. But you know, it's not totally decided there. What happens in the playoffs and in the regular season, massively important. But it's not totally decided there. See, no team wins at the end of the season without making winning decisions and the preseason. And that's not just a sports thing. That's an all-of-life thing. Believe it or not, it's a church life thing. It is a Christian life thing, too. And if you're not a sports fan, it's okay. I'm not going to force-feed you football metaphors today and over the course of this series. But if you're willing to lean in a little bit in the same way, if we're able to look at this, and the same way that a team benefits from a winning preseason, we also benefit in the important areas of life, even the important areas of church life, too. We need a preseason. The Apostle Paul, he was a sports guy. He used sports imagery and he used language like winning to connect us to some really important, to some urgent truth. Uh, if he were here today, I bet, I just think he'd probably be a football fan. I bet he would be in a fantasy football league. His fantasy football team would probably be something like the chief of pig skinners. And see, that joke only works if you like puns, Bible trivia, and football. It's a real niche audience. So, <laughs> so the one person who left, thank you. But let's focus on something serious, something that he wrote. This is, why, this is why we're talking about this. At 1 Corinthians, he said this, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? So run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a, crowd, a crown that will not last. But we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I don't run like someone running aimlessly. I don't fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the what? For the prize. And this is the Apostle Paul's thinking. Hey, if athletes, they get together and they just make a decision 
ahead of time, that they're going to train, that they're going to do stuff now to be ready later. If athletes decide that they're going to make all kinds of miniature decisions in obscurity right now before the moment comes, so when the moment comes, they'll be ready to win and they're doing all of it so that they can get a prize that's not even going to last, how much more so should we be the kind of people that we make the decisions now, we do the things right now before the moment comes, so when the moment comes, we can make winning decisions so that we can get the prize that will last forever. Now the question is, what is that prize? He was not talking about salvation. He was not talking about going to heaven. He was talking about being on mission with Jesus. He was talking about this was the prize, helping other people come to know Jesus so that they could follow Jesus. That was the prize, other people coming to know Jesus. And so us having a relationship with Jesus, us being forgiven, us being fully accepted, fully loved, fully forgiven, fully delighted in, that's not something we compete for. That's not something that's based on our effort whatsoever. That's based on Jesus' effort. He did that for us, and it's offered as a gift to you and me that we receive by faith, by giving our allegiance to him. So having a relationship with Jesus is not all, at all based on our effort, but being on mission with him, well, that does require our effort. And the Apostle Paul did not want to run out of gas in the middle of the game. And so he decided well before the moments come that he was going to do the kinds of things in obscurity. He was going to make early decisions. He was going to make pre-decisions so that in moments of difficulty, moments of challenge, he'd be able to compete. He'd be able to respond well so that he could win. And that's not just commitment talking. That's wisdom. And it's not optional. He said this is the, it's not just good advice. It's not just good instruction. This is the imperative that he gave to us. He said run in such a way as to get the prize. And the prize is helping other people come to know and follow Jesus. So individually and collectively, let's be people who are getting after the prize. Let's be people who are running in such a way that we can win. And if we want to do that, We've got to follow the example of the Apostle Paul. We've got to follow the instruction of the Apostle Paul. And we've got to be the kind of people we're going to choose to do all the little things now, all the training now, all the things that are done in obscurity now so that when the moment comes, we're able to make a winning decision. And so this is going to be our series thesis. You're going to hear this every week throughout this series. It comes straight from what the Apostle Paul said. Wise people don't just make good decisions they make pre-decisions. Wise people make good decisions, but they don't wait till the moment. Long before the moment comes, they have pre-decided and they have entered into a commitment that they're going to make sure that they make good decisions. But it comes not in the moment. It comes well before the moment shows up. And this wisdom right here, it doesn't matter what you believe or don't believe. You can benefit from it today. You don't have to be a spiritual person. You don't have to be a religious person to benefit and cash in on this wisdom. You could take it. You could apply it to your relationships, to how you handle finances, to school, uh, to your career, whatever, and it'll be good for you. It's something you get to do. But for every single one of us who are followers of Jesus, it's not a get to. It is a have to. It is an imperative. It is a non-negotiable. This is the mindset that we are to have, especially as it relates to the mission that Jesus has called us to. And so this is what we're going to do today and over the course of this series. We're going to unpack this more and more. So I hope you'll be here every week during this series. But today, we're going to look at this passage. 
And we're going to see how reading this passage and we think about that mindset, wise people don't just make good decisions, they make predecisions. It'll bring together two very important things. One of the most important kind of relationships we're going to have and the call to join Jesus on mission. And this mindset brings both of those things together. So if you have a Bible, open up to this. If you don't have a Bible, grab one from the seat back in front of you. You can pull out your phone. If you're kind of getting used to how the Bible is laid out, we're going to be in the second half of the Bible called the New Testament. Acts is the fifth book in the New Testament. It goes Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, then Acts. The guy who wrote Acts is a guy named Luke. He's the same guy who wrote the gospel according to Luke. Luke was a doctor. He was also a historian. Believe it or not, he is the gold standard for historical accuracy uh, from this era in human history. And for us to really get the impact of what we're going to read today, it probably helps if we know the backstory. The day that we're going to read about, it's not quite two months since Jesus was crucified and rose from the dead. At this point, Jesus has ascended back into heaven. Um, not a lot of people are still following Jesus. It's a, it's a small crowd of people, and they're all huddled together in one location. Uh, this particular day is the day of a Jewish celebration and festival that we know as Pentecost, and it's a monumental day for us because this is the day that the Holy Spirit showed up. He indwelled every single believer, and he empowered every single believer to preach the gospel. If you were young, you were empowered to preach the gospel. If you were old, you were supernaturally empowered to preach the gospel. Men were empowered to preach the gospel. Women were empowered to preach the gospel. And it's just supernatural, empowered events. So you got this woman, she's preaching on the street corner to declaring the message of Jesus and his resurrection. And then you got this guy over here. Not only does he hear the message that she's given, he hears it in the language that he grew up speaking in his home. It's amazing. So it's this miraculous men and women, young and old, multicultural, multi-generational gospel proclamation fest. And it created a stir. It created a big scene and people didn't know what was going on. And so a man by the name of Peter, the Apostle Peter, he steps to the front of this massive crowd. He responds to a couple of their questions and then he delivers an epic sermon. And we're going to pick up what happens immediately at the end of his sermon. Verse 41 says, those who accepted his message were baptized. About 3,000 were added to their number that day. Some people like big churches, some people like small churches, some people like medium-sized churches. The very first day of the very first church, it was a mega church. 3,000 people said, I'm in, I'm following Jesus, I'm joining you guys. What was this church about? Verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. They were devoted to teaching, they were devoted to each other. They were devoted to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. I want to list, maybe not all, but a few observations from this very first church. They were devoted uh, to the teaching of the apostles. They were devoted to each other in fellowship. They had inspiring stories of God at work. They were, devoted, they were praying together. They experienced generosity and humility with and from each other. 
They gathered in large public settings. They gathered in small, intimate settings every day. Big groups gathering at the temple, small groups gathering in homes, gathering in big groups like we're doing now, gathering in small groups. Both are vital to the Christian life. They enjoyed hospitality and good food. Sounds like my kind of people. And they were growing in number every day. And so this very first church, in many ways, they are an example to every church. And so they're an example to our church. And today we're going we're gonna to begin a series where we're looking at their example and we're going to focus on this devotion to teaching and devotion to fellowship. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. The way we apply that, it's not be devoted to a pastor, and it's not be devoted to a pastor's teaching. That'll put you on a fast track to being a toxic church. What we do is we are devoted to the teaching of God's word together, and we are devoted to one another, devoted to the teaching of God's word, and devoted to one another. And what we're going to see over the course of this series is it sets kind of a roadmap from them to navigate all kinds of things, and for us too. This church had to navigate adversity. They had to navigate tragedy. They had to navigate changes. They had to navigate uncertainty. And just a couple, if you read ahead in just a couple of chapters, you'll discover that some of their church leaders are killed. Other church leaders are thrown into prison. It starts off being great, and then some of the crowd turns on them. And you guys remember the Pharisees? The Pharisees, the guys who conspired to kill Jesus? After the resurrection, they decided, oh, my bad, we were wrong. We believe in Jesus too now. And so they joined the church. Because you got all these Pharisees that are a part of the church. But some of them brought their religious baggage. And that meant that they started trying to impose unnecessary and difficult rules on people. So the church had to navigate that. And the church had to navigate cultural tensions. The very first church was 100% Jewish. But you had two different kind of Jewish cultures. You had, you had Jewish people who were primarily Hebrew in culture. And then you had Jewish people who were primarily Greek in culture, and they had to navigate difficulty with that. And then other people who weren't Jewish wanted to follow Jesus, and the church was flooded with people who were from a different race or ethnicity. And so Gentiles, non-Jewish people, wanted to follow Jesus, and so they had to navigate racial um, tensions and, and that kind of stuff too within the church. And then there was even one instance where there was kind of major lying about money, but the roadmap for them, they were devoted to the teaching of God's word. And they were devoted to each other. And I bet being in that kind of church in the very beginning, it must have felt like the best relationship possible at church. Devoted to teaching God's word. Devoted to one another. It was amazing. And so I want to talk about relationships for a little bit. The best relationships are defined by high trust and healthy expectations. If you're a note taker, you got to write this down. The best relationships are defined by high trust and healthy expectations. Instead of just saying that, I want to try to visualize it too. And this chart right here, I think we could map out every relationship that we have in life. But the very best relationships in life are the ones that are over here. Now, healthy expectations, the higher you go up this axis, the more healthy, relations, healthy expectations you have. The further you go down this way, the less healthy expectations. The more you go this way, the more trust you have. The more you go this way, the less trust you have. Over the course of this series, we're going to talk about expectations and trust, but today I just want to talk about trust. How is it, how is it that we begin to experience off-the-charts trust with people? How do we experience off-the-charts trust with each other? 
Well, that begins by choosing the elements of trust. And the elements of trust are these. To be honest, to be safe, and to be reliable. Be honest, be safe, and be reliable. And this is a two-way street. The people that we are in relationships with, we need for them to be honest. We need for them to be safe. We need for them to be reliable. But they need that from us too. So we have to choose to be honest and to be safe and be reliable. And when we experience that from the people we're in relationship with and they experience that from us, we have off the charts trust with one another. And I'm sure some of you guys are thinking, yeah, and the sky is blue. Rick, this is so obvious. Why do we even need to talk about it? So let me ask, do we experience that with all of our relationships? Why is it? If it's, if it's so obvious, if people, if most people we know, they, if push comes to shove, they'd rather be honest than not. They'd rather be safe than not. They'd rather be reliable than not. Why is it that we don't always experience it? Why is it that from time to time, our church and every church will experience moments where we don't experience that? What well, comes down to pre-decisions. It's not just deciding in the moment to have those things. You have to pre-decide before the moment ever comes. You see, this is what wise people do. Wise people pre-decide whatever it is that would compromise honesty, I'm not going to do those things. Whatever it is that would compromise being safe, I am not going to do those things. Whatever it is that would compromise being a reliable person, I am not going to do those things. And this is the real secret sauce of making pre-decisions. The secret sauce of pre-decisions is this. I'm going to pre-decide before the moment comes, before I even know what it's going to take to be honest, before I even know what's going to be required of me in a future moment to be honest, I'm pre-deciding right now. Whatever cultivates honesty, I'm going to do that. Before I even know what it's going to, what's going to be required of me to be a safe person in the moment, whatever, even if I can't imagine it yet and future moments that I don't even know are going to come yet, I'm pre-deciding right now, even though I don't know what it's going to take, that I'm going to do it. I don't know what it's going to, what's going to be required of me to be reliable next month or next year or 10 years from now. I don't know what all the situations are going to be. I don't know what the demands are going to be, but I'm going to pre-decide right now whatever it takes to cultivate being reliable. I'm going to do that right now. These are the kind of things that you should expect from me, that you, should, you deserve to have from your pastor, from all the pastors, from staff. These are the kind of things you, that you need from elders and ministry leaders and small group leaders in our church. But these are also the kinds of things we need from each other. Let me ask, if you're dating... Do you want to date someone when it comes to honesty? They're just going to say, you know, we'll see what happens in the moment. Or do you want someone to say, no, I pre-decide right now. No matter what, I'm going to be honest with you. Do you want to work on a team with people who are like, you know, I don't, we'll see what happens in the moment. Or do you want to work with people, no matter what, I'm just going to decide right now. Whatever it takes to be safe and reliable, I'm going to do that. If you're married to someone, do you want to be married to someone and say, you know, I want to be honest, we'll see what happens. What do you want for your kids? Do you want your kids to be the kind of people who grow up and say, let's see what happens in the moment? Or do you want your kids to be the kind of people who say, no matter what, I'm going to pre-decide right now, honest, safe, and reliable. What do, you want? what do you want for yourself with the people you're in relationship with here in our church? You know what it feels like when we share this with each other? It feels like this. It feels awesome. This is the best kind of relationship possible. But here's the deal. It's just a reality. It's not a bad thing. It's just reality. No relationship starts there, but any relationship can get there. No relationship starts there. It takes time, but any relationship could get there. So the question is, how do we, how do we be the kind of people where we choose to get there? 
We're going to talk about that today. Here's one thing we can do. Wise people pre-decide what kind of relationship they want to have with a church and what kind of church they want to have a relationship with. It kind of starts there. I hope this doesn't sound like Dr. Seuss on crack. Let me read it again. Wise people pre-decided what, pre-decide what kind of relationship they want to have with a church and what kind of church they want to have a relationship with. I'm just going to assume that we're all the kind of people who are like, we want the best relationship possible. That nobody in here would ever say to somebody important in your life, you know, it's just, I, our relationship's too good. Let's mess it up a little bit. We don't do that. But what kind, what kind of church do we want to be in relationship with? If you're someone here today and you're like, listen, Rick, I, I don't even know where I stand with this Jesus thing. I'm still trying to figure it out. I don't know if I believe in Jesus or I want to follow him. This might feel premature for you, and yet you are in a church service. And even if I don't know you, I bet I know something about you. You would prefer that we be trustworthy. You would prefer that we be honest and safe and reliable. And so believe it or not, this conversation includes you too. But for the rest of us who would say, I am a follower of Jesus, how should we think about the second part? How do we decide what kind of church we want to be in relationship with? Just assuming we want to have the best relationship possible. Let's let this line represent the difference between the wrong ways of doing church and the right ways of doing church. I don't know if you know this, but the New Testament gives us a lot of latitude. There's no one right way to do church. We have a lot of freedom, a lot of latitude. There are wrong ways to do church, and that's below this line. And there are lots of right ways to do church, and we'll just imagine those above this line. We're not going to name churches down here. But a church that would be down here would be a church that has walked away from the historic Orthodox faith. A church that would be below this line is a church that has lost their trust in God's word. Believe it or not, a church that could be below this line is a church that has amazing theology, but no love, and they're not like They're really not at all like Jesus. But above this line, there's all kinds of different churches. Can we, will you, do you guys feel awake enough to do some imagining with me? Can we pretend together? All right, so let's pretend, let's pretend that I'm not, I'm not a pastor. Let's pretend like many of you, I moved here for, for a job, all right? So I'm just, I'm working a job. I'm not, I'm not a pastor. Um, I'll let you decide whether or not in your imagination if I'm smart enough to be a computer software person or a doctor or a nurse or, I don't know, farmer, I don't know. So I'm not a pastor, but you also got to imagine this. Autumn Ridge does not exist. This church does not exist. It's not here. Where would I go to church? I could go to Christ Community where Daryl Holden is the pastor and I would, I would get some phenomenal teaching on God's word and I could join that community of faith and I would thrive as a Christian. I could go to Word of Life Church where Bishop Sidney Fry is the pastor. He's a godly man of integrity. And, and I could hear him teach God's word. And I could join in with that community. And I would thrive as a Christian. I could go to a bunch of different churches, more churches than I have time to list. I could go to Trinity Presbyterian where Chris Harper is pastor, great godly man. I could, go to, um, I could go to Rochester Assembly and listen to Mike Stairs preaching and join in that community. Whichever one I pick, I would thrive as a Christian. Now, would all of those experiences be the same? No, it's not your question. They would not be the same. I've been to worship services at most of those churches. It's not the same. And I'm, if you're wondering, Rick, are you suggesting it doesn't matter which church you go to or what kind of church you go to? I would never suggest that. But what I do want to elevate is it's not just where we go to church and what kind of church we go to. It's how we go. And if I went as a person who said, you know what? I'm going to choose honesty, safety, and reliability, and that's what I'm going to contribute 
I'm setting myself up to have the best kind of relationship possible with whichever church I go to so that I could thrive. The very first church on the very first day, how many churches could you choose from? Just one. There's only one church. But 3,000 people joined on day one. People were joining every day. It wasn't long before house churches are popping up all over the city of Jerusalem. And if you and I lived during that time, it didn't matter where you lived in the city, there's probably two, three, or four different house churches within walking distance of where we lived so we could have chosen. We would have had to make a choice. Like today, we get to make a choice. We have to make a choice. So how do you choose? Instead of saying what we should choose, let's just talk about how we choose. Orthodoxy represents, represents the the faith that has been handed down from beginning. It's things like God is one in being and three in persons. God's a trinity. That Jesus is fully God and fully man and he died on the cross as the payment for our sin and the only hope for our salvation is that he rose from the dead and we trust in him. And, and there are other things that are included in orthodoxy, things like that could be read in the, uh, in the um, Council of Nicaea, other things like the Nicene Creed. But we just hope that every believer would choose a church that falls under the umbrella of orthodoxy. And believe it or not, almost every church does. They agree on this stuff, but they, agree, but they disagree on other things. Did you guys know that people disagree? Have you met people? People disagree about stuff. And they disagree on kind of big things. Not this level, but big stuff. And this is like denominational kind of stuff. This is why there's Methodist and Lutheran and Baptist and CMA and Presbyterian and non-denominational. Because they agree on this, but they disagree about other ways to do things. And so, and so they kind of galvanize and organize around, around differences. And that's okay. But did you know there's another level to disagreement? Do you know people keep disagreeing on stuff? And we'll let these things represent the less important things. It's not that it doesn't matter. It's not that it's not important. It just doesn't rise to this level, and it certainly doesn't rise to this level. Our church is experiencing some change at this level as we're pivoting eventually to having unified worship. All of our services are going to have the same kind of worship expression. As a matter of fact, tonight we're having a church family meeting. I want to invite everybody to come. You're going to hear from me and some of our elders, and we're going to have an opportunity to hear from you and answer questions. I hope you'll be a part of that. But back to this. We want everybody to choose a church that matches this, which is most churches. And then some people, they're going to pick a church based on issues related here. Other people are going to pick a church on issues related here. And that's fine. I want to let you know the kind of church we're trying to be. This is just what we're attempting. While all of these things matter, we think this matters most. And we're going to make decisions on things that affect this level. And we're going to make decisions on things that affect this level. We would never pretend like they don't matter or they're not important. We just think this is most urgent. That this is the priority. And all these other things submit to the urgency of this. And this is our mission. Our church exists to lead people to be fully devoted followers of Jesus. We want people who don't know Jesus to come to know Jesus. We want people who are already following Jesus to grow in their devotion and their relationship with Jesus. And like the Apostle Paul, we want to win. We want to win. And if we're going to win, it means that we're going to be the kind of church that makes all the necessary pre-decisions 
that set us up to be able to make winning choices when the moment comes. And we want to be a winning church. We want to make it to the Super Bowl. And uh, it's coming to me. There's cleanup on aisle four. It's coming to me. We want to be a winning church. We want to be a church that makes it to the Super Bowl. And that doesn't mean that we're better than other churches. It has nothing to do with competing with other churches or comparing ourselves to other churches. We don't want to do that. We want to experience being a particular kind of church. And this is what that means. We want to be a church of all cultures where curious, skeptical, and hurting people love to attend. And we just think that's going to happen as we are devoted to the teaching of God's word and we're devoted to each other. When we choose things like being honest, being safe, and being reliable, we'll experience off-the-charts trust with each other, and it'll feel like this. And as we experience that, it will be attractive to other people, that they will be attracted to us as we gather together and ultimately attracted to and pointed to Jesus. And so remembering that no relationship starts here, but any relationship can get there, what do we do? Well, wise people predecide the outcomes they want and the inputs they'll get. Wise people predecide the relationship outcomes we get. And of course, we want to have the best kind of relationship possible. We all want that. No one is intentionally trying to ruin their relationships. But this is where the rubber meets the road. We have to predecide what kind of relationship inputs we're going to give. And this is about owning our side of the street. This is about owning our piece of the pie. This is about taking responsibility for the things that we will contribute and the things that we won't contribute to our relationship. And again, this is what we want. We all want to be here. And for us to be here, then that means that each and every one of us, we choose honesty, safety, and reliability. This is the kind of stuff that pastors get to choose and need to choose. This is the kind of stuff that elders get to choose and need to choose. This is the kind of stuff that small group leaders and ministry team leaders and children's ministry workers get to choose and need to choose. This is the kind of stuff that if you attend every week, you get to choose. This is the kind of stuff, even if you attend every other month, you get to choose this too. This is for all of us. And we're calling this message series the preseason because we're trying to slow down and give ourselves a season where we can evaluate and we can determine the kind of pre-decisions that we want to make, what kind of relationship outcomes that we want, what kind of relationship inputs we're going to give. So i got three next steps for us. Pre-decide what relationship outcomes we want. I mean, maybe just write it down. Maybe say to someone, say, you know what, this is what I want. Maybe you've never consciously thought about it. I'm going to ask you to consciously think about it. What kind of relationship outcome do you want? And then after that, pre-decide what relationship inputs we'll give. And if you are a follower of Jesus, I think this is the kind of thing that we can expect. We can expect that the Holy Spirit is going to be working and churning inside of us. And if we're devoted to prayer, if we're like, God, would you help me with this? Would you help me see it? God, would you search me and know me and reveal to me anything that I need to know about what's going on inside of me that I think that we're going to experience the Holy Spirit bringing to our mind and bringing to our attention ways in which we compromise honesty, 
compromise safety and compromise reliability. And then we'll also experience the Holy Spirit bringing to our mind ways in which we can cultivate honesty, cultivate safety, and cultivate reliability. And what I'm talking about, there are a couple of biblical words for that. It's conviction and repentance. Conviction is the Holy Spirit helping us see how maybe we're out of sync with the way of Jesus. And repentance is turning away from something that isn't good so that we can turn to something that is good. And here's the third thing I'm going to ask. Pre-decide to attend a service weekly. I know some of you travel. Maybe you can't be here physically every week. Then join us online. But would you pre-decide right now that you're going to be here every week, especially during this series, that you're going to attend a service each week? And when we do that, when we do that, we're sending a signal to every other person. I'm choosing, I'm choosing to be reliable. I want to be reliable. And I'm just, I'm just going to send it to you in a way that you can see. You can count on me. I'm choosing the element of trust of reliability. If we're going to grow in trust together, then that means we have to grow in trust together. And so I'm asking you, don't wait to see how you feel next Saturday night or what's going on next Sunday morning. Would you lay your clothes out on Saturday night and make the predecessor that you're going to be here? Let's do this together. Wise people don't just make good decisions. We make pre-decisions. Let's be people who pre-decide that we are going to run to win together. You pray with me? Heavenly Father, it's, um, it's a gift. It's an awesome thing to be in the room with these men and women and these children right now to place ourselves underneath the awesomeness of your word, to celebrate you, and to think about how we can continue just to keep taking next steps to, to galvanize together, to, to follow Jesus, to take our next step of trust God. We want to be the kind of people who experience off-the-charts trust, and we want, we want it to be so evident that as other people see it, that they're drawn to it, and ultimately they see you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.